Mind Edition. Your weekly dose of thrills, chills, and terror. Warning. The Wicked Library contains adult themes, adult situations, adult language, and graphic depictions of terror, bloodshed, the occasional possession, and your future trips to your psychiatrist so he or she can assure you it's only a story. This podcast is intended for mature audiences only. You've been warned, kiddies. The Diplomat by Barry Stokel. He lived among the dead. He lived alongside the non-infected as well. Not a soul alive knew his name, but it hardly mattered. He was the diplomat, and his misfortune had somehow brought a crumb of hope to both the living and the dead. At first, the city was slow to react when the dead began walking, the usual mellow pace not easily interrupted. St. Petersburg, Florida was a destination city with tropical promises, warm breezes, great art around every turn, and a different life story written in marker on brown cardboard standing at every corner. St. Pete was pulling out of its annual tourist lull, and downtown had just started coming to life once again when the zombie attacks began. The irony was not lost on the diplomat. Fallenberg brought a break in the weather as well. Northerners no longer melted into the pavement as soon as they left the sweet coolness of an air-conditioned building or car, and along with the tourists came money. Money meant survival for the locals. Well, money meant survival until the day the dead awoke. Survival became more primal that day. The diplomat remembered more predictable times with bitter fondness. He had been an average 40-something, though alone. His parents were still in Michigan, and he never married. A recent promotion earned him a hefty raise and the title branch manager at the bank that had employed him since his move to St. Pete years ago. It meant nothing. The past meant nothing. He wondered if his parents were dead as he lurched toward downtown on Central Avenue, but he would probably never know what had become of them. 
The sunny blue sky forced him to squint at his watch, though time had become as irrelevant as money. It was the only constant he had left, and he always checked his watch when he thought about his parents and remembered he would never see them again. The diplomat found a covered bus stop bench and rested his weary body. He preferred to limp along without the help of a cane. A stroke had left him partially paralyzed, his speech unintelligible. Determination helped the diplomat to walk again and to form words, but distances were not covered easily. He removed his raised baseball cap and stared at the embroidered logo, and then wiped his face and neck with a dingy handkerchief. Rays, he said out loud. He wanted to cheer for them again, and he wanted his cheers to be answered, to have context once more. Never again. His words were deliberate, enunciated slowly. He cringed at the lonely sound his own words echoing along the quiet city avenue. He was the only man alive who dared speak when the dead were near. At least, not anyone unarmed. The diplomat was accepted by the dead since he was similar to them in ways that made them comfortable enough to trust him. The dead's acceptance was his cross to bear, and it was also his get-out-of-jail-free card. He should consider himself lucky. Lucky wasn't exactly a word he was in a hurry to pronounce these days. The dead wanted a meeting with him. He could tell by the way he was surrounded. They always formed a perimeter and closed in with excruciating sluggishness when they were ready to talk. Meetings with the dead weren't exactly scheduled. They simply happened when they happened. And he would always accommodate them. After all, he was the diplomat. Candy fussed with the windows again. They were boarded up tight and the fussing was unnecessary. Still, she wasn't the type to sit and wait for a reason to move or act, and idle time left her antsy. When one hears a name like Candy, certain images come to mind. Boxum, bubbly, and maybe even a bit slutty. Candy was none of those things. She was athletic and wiry, beautiful when she smiled, which she rarely did. Her black hair was in a severe ponytail. She wore slick black clothes, no accessories or frills to get in her way. She was about functionality and readiness. When the dead attacked, God help anyone or anything that got in the way of her goal, which was to annihilate the reanimated dead. You're making me nervous, Candy. We're secure. Have a seat and put your feet up. Tom earned a dirty glare for his blasé attitude. He decided to add to her irritation. Here's a nice comfy seat, he grinned, pointing to his lap. Her expression darkened. Come on, Candy, get a sense of humor already. Candy had a sense of humor. It was just very dry and often wasted on the perpetually immature. She ran her thumb along the sharp edge of a machete. You really want me near your privates? Okay, she said calmly, taking a few steps towards Tom. Never mind! He leaned forward in the easy chair and placed his hands protectively over his crotch. A nearby candle flickered, making Candy appear even more menacing than she'd intended. She should really smile more, thought Tom. 
Candy finally took a seat facing her friend. She placed the machete gently in her own lap, not willing to be unarmed, even in an easy chair. Tom, she said, worry creasing her brow. Tom, are we typical, you know, like in the zombie movies we used to rent? A couple of twenty-somethings, attractive. He used his index fingers to smooth his eyebrows. Damn straight we're typical. Does that bother you? Yeah, it does. We should leave the city. He waited for her to elaborate. Instead, she pondered without sharing. It seemed like ages since she spoke, the candlelight deepening the shadows of her thoughts. Don't forget about the kids, said Tom. We have that purpose going for us. With the house as quiet as it is, it's hard to remember why we stay in downtown St. Pete at all. We could have run for the hills like everyone else when this whole thing started, but then what would have happened to them? He pointed up, indicating the second floor. I knew there was a good reason for keeping you around. You keep me grounded. I need that. Tom couldn't help but grin. He basked momentarily in the glow of her approval. They'd been friends since high school, forever teasing but never toying with romance. Yes, they were typical, but why did that bother her so much? He liked their setup and crew. Ticking off the names in his head, he thought about why each member of the household was vital. Let's see, he said out loud. Horse is the gruff veteran with a heart of gold. You're the badass chick. I'm the sarcastic yet ruggedly handsome leading man. Candy rolled her eyes, well aware that Tom thought of his soft peach fuzz as stubble. Sweep, he keeps horse in check. Kelly cooks a mean meal out of practically nothing. I'm not sure what Simon's purpose is. Simon had just entered the living room and the conversation. He grunted and dropped onto the couch, instantly in a lying down position, dirty boots on the armrest. Unlike Tom, Simon had actual stubble. Candy decided not to remind Tom that the non-communicative Simon was more likely the leading man, a killing machine who was protective of the group and would be until the bitter end. Simon's the clown, Tom said, metaphorically poking the bear. Simon never took Tom's bait. Candy, nice kill at the children's hospital last night. That orderly almost had a piece of me. Anytime, Simon. I'm glad we risk going in. How's the new kid? Has he told anyone his name? Simon shook his head no and closed his eyes. Five kids, Tom said, serious again. Five kids who would have died without us. We may be zombie movie typical, but there's nothing wrong with that. Are you with me, Candy? Do you still think we should leave town? Well, in the zombie flicks I remember, most of the good guys die before the credits roll. We should take the little ones somewhere safe, far away from the dead. They're safe here, Tom said. Yes, they're protected from physical harm, but what about the horrors outside? The city is so quiet at any given time. At night I can hear the dead feeding. I hear bones crunching and zombies moaning. Sometimes they're distant, sometimes they aren't far away at all. The sounds of flesh being gnawed, the... the... Candy broke her sentence and looked disturbed. So we save the kids from being eaten, but they'll probably be traumatized for life. If we leave now, we can do our best to give them a normal life. They might have a chance. Not yet, Candy. 
Not just yet. Soon, though. Right, Simon? Simon snorted and nodded yes. Since Simon was still awake and listening, Tom decided to ask another question. How did it go with the diplomat today? He was surrounded. You know the rules. The living never disturbed a meeting between the diplomat and the dead. So, he still doesn't know about us. Great. Tom dropped the lever on his easy chair in a sarcastic huff, getting ready to sleep the day away alongside Candy and Simon. Candy lowered her own lever, but she couldn't close her eyes. Then she remembered the candle. Better not let it burn while we sleep. She spit on her finger and thumb and leaned forward to snuff the flame. The quiet sizzle and the thin ribbon of smoke pleased her senses. In the dark, she could hear the steady breathing of the men, a familiar sound that calmed her. Another familiar sound crept in from the alley. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. It was the uncertain steps of a zombie. Typical, she thought. Just like in the movies. The first time the diplomat met a zombie was in St. Petersburg General Hospital. The doctors were monitoring him after his stroke. The last thing he'd remembered before the dead rose was a kindly nurse telling him to get some rest. Don't worry, Evan. Problems don't seem so dire when the sun's out. He actually had a name then. A name he'd almost allowed himself to forget. The next morning he opened his eyes and a sick feeling invaded his stomach. It took truckloads of effort for him to rise to a sitting position and then stand at last. He couldn't understand why the air felt so twisted. Something was very wrong. He reached for the button that would bring the nurse, but his arm wouldn't cooperate. He was facing the door. The shadow of a figure was slowly moving toward the entrance of his room. It was the nurse from the night before. I need help, he tried to say. Instead, he only hacked and gasped. She moved farther up the hall and out of his sight without acknowledging his existence. The diplomat fell back onto his bed, discouraged and weak. He could hear lumbering figures from every direction, but he somehow knew none were coming to help him. He slept again, hanging halfway off his bed, his hospital gown doing nothing for his dignity as it waved in the breeze of the air conditioning. This time, he woke on the floor. He'd slid from the bed, and he hadn't even waked. His entire body was stiff. Someone was in his room, but he couldn't turn to see who it was. They were moving at a snail's pace. Maybe it's another patient, he thought, like me learning to walk after a stroke. Bare feet shuffled into view. They were petite and feminine, pink polish on the nails. The right ankle sported a tiny tattoo depicting the simplified ram horns of the Aries symbol. He turned his head with effort so he could see the rest of her. The girl was naked. Her arms had been ripped from her shoulders, gore swaying and dangling from the wounds as she walked. She might have been pretty, but her right cheek was missing, leaving her teeth and gums in permanent view. She was walking toward the only window with open blinds and stopped to stare directly at the sun. 
How? How is she still walking? He thought. She turned and looked at Evan. After many long, uncomfortable moments, she formed a word with some difficulty. Why? He barely heard it. Her voice was so weak. She repeated it many times as she turned and left his room as slowly as she entered. Had he been able to speak, he still couldn't possibly have answered her. Instead, he trembled on the floor, fully expecting death to take him soon. The diplomat found himself trembling on the bus stop bench, his memories of the zombified Venus de Milo from months ago as vivid as ever. For reasons he could never quite grasp, he was immune to attack. He soon realized they also trusted him. They shared their anguish with him. If anything, the diplomat pitied the zombies. It was as if their minds weren't nearly as slow as their bodies. He could relate all too well, remembering his lonely weeks of rehabilitation. But unlike the diplomat, the dead were being driven by something dark, its source unknown. There could be no rehabilitation. They were dead, but they could not rest. It seemed they possessed a hazy awareness of the horror they'd become. Without much control over their instinct to feed, the zombies became increasingly disgusted with themselves. Frustration, anger, and deep sadness were what they showed the diplomat. Had they tears to spill, he was sure they would. The angry ones were the ones he worried about. Zombie food supplies were running low. Hunger made the dead more temperamental. They sometimes approached the diplomat just as another man, but after closing in, it became clear that the zombies recognized him and considered him off-limits. However, they were getting closer and closer these days before they stopped themselves. Such moments put a lot of stress on his heart. It made him anxious to a dangerous extent. He feared for his health, but he feared being one of the dead even more. Still, he took risks daily. What compelled him? What could keep him constantly motivated? One word drove him. One word uttered by a dead girl whose name he never knew. Why? The question echoed in his mind. If he could find the answer to that, he may just be able to bring an end to the whole nightmare. In the meantime, the meeting had begun. He rose from the bench and prepared himself mentally for yet another meeting with the dead. What time is it? Tom rubbed his eyes in the dark and wished for moonlight or any other indication of night. You awake? Candy hadn't slept at all. She lit the candle from earlier and stared at the same boards and walls as she had done for months now. It's night now. My watch this quarter after nine. How did you sleep, princess? Not well. There was a pee under my mattress. You? Not at all, Tom. Not at all. The couch was empty. Did Simon leave already? Yeah, you know him. Candy shrugged her shoulders. Something's weird. Do you feel that? Candy was about to say no. 
They had both sat forward in their chairs, Tom stretching, Candy looking intensely serious as always. What Tom said struck a chord with her. Yes, she whispered. She couldn't explain it. The air was different. Her heart skipped a beat as she realized it was her first untypical moment in months. Maybe things would be different tonight, for the better. She tried to squelch the hope surging inside of her before she got carried away. Another bout with disappointment would just about kill her at this point. Hope diminished, she rose and stretched, limbering herself for a strenuous night of hunting. The front door opened, and it startled her out of her cool for one brief moment. What the... Tom was standing now as well. The two faced the door, readying themselves for anything. Candy still had her machete, and Tom had grabbed a rifle. Simon's silhouette was visible in the moonlight. Next to him stood a smaller, hunched figure. It seemed like no one took a breath for many long moments. Simon gestured for the other man to enter the home ahead of him. Step. Drag. Step. Drag. Candy gasped quite audibly and raised her machete. Candy, Tom, I'd like you two to meet the diplomat. Candy's posture changed completely as she ran to the diplomat's aid. He accepted her help with gratitude. He removed his baseball cap and looked Candy straight in the eyes. I need to tell you uh, about a meeting I had today. Candy let him lean most of his weight on her as she brought him over to her own chair. Tom had never seen her so caring and motherly. Even with the children, she was a strict teacher. They need to learn how to survive. This isn't fun in games, Tom, she would always say when he ragged on her for her teaching style. He thought they all needed some fun in games to take their minds off the dead walking. Her patience with the diplomat was saintly, and Tom enjoyed seeing it. Tell us everything, Candy said. We're listening. The diplomat waited until all six adult members of the household were present and all five kids asleep before he told his story. No one lost patience with his stilted speech. In fact, they were clinging like glue to his every word. It seemed the zombies were divided. There were the angry dead with their relentless drive for food, and the regretful dead also with their relentless drive for food. Those with regrets wanted to put an end to their unnatural existence. They wanted to rest. The angry dead sought vengeance and sustenance. They'd fed on their families and neighbors, warping their already twisted point of view. The living had everything they wanted. The dead had only the hunger. It consumed them, obliterating any chance for free will. The angry dead embraced the monsters they'd become justifying their actions by relinquishing control to that horrifying hunger. It was not their fault that their hunger could not be satiated, and they didn't want to be alone in their suffering. The dead who regretted their weakness to the hunger had implored the diplomat to help them. They wanted to find a way to eliminate their existence. Every last one of the walking dead needed to be put to rest. End the suffering, they begged. 
The diplomat could see nothing but anguish in the eyes of the dead that day. How could he refuse such a profound request? He required large amounts of help. The diplomat had been visiting any and all strongholds in the city of St. Pete that afternoon and evening, which were few. Simon had tracked him during his search, and the diplomat was pleased to have another group of strong hunters to employ for his new purpose. The diplomat was quiet for a few minutes, and they realized his story was done. He sipped a glass of water that Kelly had brought him earlier. He seemed drained from the effort of telling the tale. "'What exactly are you asking of us?' Candy asked, breaking the silence. She was rubbing her temples, her head hurting in its attempt to wrap itself around what had just been handed. A second question formed tentatively. "'The dead... feel? Emotions?' She knew the answer. It just had to be asked out loud to even sound probable in her mind." Puzzlement covered each face in the room except for that of the diplomat. Yes, they feel, but they will never stop feeding. So you need us to, what, lure them into a slaughter? He nodded his head yes, his expression grave. Everyone suddenly came to life, question after question tumbling and tripping over one another in their drive to be answered. Simon spoke in his usual tone, but it quieted the room. Every living citizen in this peninsula needs to gather. We need a place where crowds can be funneled and corralled, a difficult place for anyone to execute a retreat. With the cooperation of the dead you met today, we can flank the angry, more violent zombies. Everyone agreed, nodding and forming their own conclusions about what would happen after the dead were trapped. It hardly mattered what manner of the final death took place. It only mattered that the reign of zombies would come to an end. Deciding on a place to set and spring the trap was difficult. How best to confine the dead with little or no danger to themselves? No one could formulate an idea to fit that bill. Any place they chose posed advantages and disadvantages. All were dangerous since it just didn't seem like it would work without plenty of bait. The diplomat had an idea of his own. Maybe instead of risking so many lives in an attempt to lure the dead, one man, a Pied Piper of sorts, could lead the dead to their final resting place. I owe them. They spared me. I want to bring them to their final rest. It was a plan worth trying. Everyone feared for the diplomat's life, though. His was the only life that stood a chance of surviving such a mission. In the Old Brother's Grim Folktale, the Pied Piper first lured rats to a river in a drowning death, and later lured children into a cave which he sealed. Considering the proximity of the bay, drowning seemed like the obvious choice of the two. No, said Tom, I think zombies can survive underwater. They're dead. They don't need oxygen. Or we could imprison them and let starvation do the dirty work. We could incinerate them. It should be quick, I think, 
Sweet Pea rarely spoke, but when she did, it was always with compassion. If what the diplomat has told us is true, they've suffered enough. The room felt quiet again. One could practically hear the cogs and gears in motion. Every one of them had a different idea to voice. The silence broke as everyone started speaking at once. We should leave them in a Tropicana field. That'll work, won't it? I think the pier is perfect. Admiral Farragut Academy. Raytheon. The Church of Scientology. What? It just seems like zombies would fit in there. You got a point. Everyone was talking and hardly a soul was listening. Candy couldn't stand it anymore. Enough! Now let the chick with the machete talk. She stood before the group, fed up and fearless. The end is in sight. The sooner we figure this out, the sooner we can put the plan in action. Then we can all breathe easier for the first time in way too long. She took a deep breath. Let's leave the city. We'll go to Whedon Island and build a defense around it. We take turns as perimeter guards. Trust me, the diplomat said. There are too many dead. They could overrun the island? I believe so. The situation was grim. That was certain. Maybe we should sleep on it. Tom was as impatient as the next guy where obliteration of the dead was concerned, but perhaps some rest and a big meal would give them the strength they needed to implement any plan they decided to adopt. The diplomat seemed to like the idea. He appeared to have fallen asleep within seconds of Tom's suggestion. He was awake, though, inside his head with thoughts. He thought about that afternoon's meeting and what he didn't tell the people that now surrounded him. He thought about how much he empathized with the dead. He thought of the dead girl in the hospital who dared to ask him why. He kept his breathing steady until he was sure every last one of the housemates was asleep. He listened for what he knew would come next. It wasn't long before he heard his cue. Step, drag. Step, drag. Step, drag. Multiplied by thousands of shuffling feet. The diplomat rose to his own feet with difficulty. Step, drag. Step, drag. As he made his way to the door, he lifted one trembling hand with deliberate intent. He unlocked the door. It couldn't be helped. The dead would always hunger, and if he was the last man in sight, they would eat their precious diplomat in the blink of an eye. He did what he did for self-preservation. He opened the door. The six sleeping men and women, brave souls, every one, barely had time to scream before the dead descended upon them, devouring their warm human flesh. It was the first time he'd ever betrayed his own kind. It was the first time he had to back against the wall. That afternoon's meeting had been quick, the message vicious and quite clear. The dead would turn the diplomat into one of them if he didn't find them food. 
my worst fear, he thought as he stumbled in the street, exhaustion getting the best of him. And so he'd done their bidding. The diplomat had just learned his greatest and most desperate lesson. He didn't need to die to become a monster. And it was a convincing, twisted monster he'd become. Society 13. Rebuilding society 